Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Make sure to check out the other shows uh, on the network on Twitter uh, at Process Potables, the flagship at Pucks PPN, and at Popcorn PPN. Uh, there's so many great new episodes, including the Polyphony and Potables music episode that dropped last week on the network. Sports are coming back in just a couple of weeks, so things are going to start really getting uh, into full gear on the network. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, make sure to check out www.processpotables.com. Well, thankfully for all of you, we watched Extreme Rules last night so that you didn't have to. Impact Slammiversary was a really good show. We're going to talk about in both AEW and a couple other things on this week's Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates. I'm your host every single week. We get together. We discuss the week that was in pro wrestling news and uh, recap it all for you here. So uh, we're going to pull the curtain back. It is currently 8 a.m. <laughs> Normally I record this right after things go off the air, but let's let's be completely real. After... After Extreme Rules, which we're going to talk about, I was in no mood to talk about it. So uh, we did a reset, and we're going to come back at you right now. Still get you the episode out in the morning. But like we do every single week, we're going to do this week's... Uh, hold on, let's, uh, we got we got the bottle gimmick again. Let's try it again. This week's Quick Sips. All right, so for Quick Sips this week, I picked up uh, some of my favorite... Dogfish Head, I mean, Dogfish Head, they're like an institution. They're like the first real craft beer, I guess I could say, that, that I had for one of the first beer tours I went to down in Milton, Delaware. And they've been around since the mid-90s, as you know, and they're pretty much, I believe, distributed at certain points uh, all throughout the country now. So what I'm drinking today is a Sunday Feels. It's a beer mosa sour. It comes in at uh, 6.5 ABV. And it's ale blued with... Uh, uh, Wagner grape juice, peaches, blood oranges, lemon oranges, and lime. And as always, as always, Dogfish cl- comes in with, with great artwork on, on their, um, their beers as well. Again, Dogfish is an art institution. If you're ever in Delaware, make sure you go to their brewery. Take, take the tour. It's about an hour long. You'll learn a lot. Uh, of course, I believe that they're majority owned now by by Sam Adams, but that was a great move on their part. Uh, then you can go on into Rehoboth, Delaware. They had a tremendous brew pub with a lot of exclusives. Now, I know that they are canning a lot of those brew pub exclusives. So you can buy them exclusively, obviously, at the brew pub, but you can take them home with you, which is pretty cool. 
So let me take a uh, swig of this guy at 8 a.m. I'm on vacation this week, so we can do that, right? Mm. Dogfish is one of those those uh, breweries that they like to use the uh, the juice when they're making uh, their their beers. They're trying to have that um, that juice flavor, if you will. This is good. I'm just gonna take another sip of this. It's gonna really wake me up so I can uh, have some energy to um, talk about the shit that we saw last night. A little tart at the end, but but it's good. It doesn't. It, it's not. It's not overly sour. I feel that's more of the juice aspect than anything else. All right, for jumping into the news this week. Uh, as of Saturday at midnight, all the wrestlers that were released back in April are now free to go. Uh, the first two people who made noise of doing anything was Brian Myers and Matt Cardona, the, for- the former Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. They announced that uh, their podcast, the Major WF Pod, uh, that's WF is for wrestling figures, have signed a deal with Super 7 uh, to have exclusive figures. Uh, so the announcement was made on their YouTube page Friday afternoon around noontime. They're going to be in scale with WWE, AEW, and New Japan's line of toys. Uh, Matt and Brian also uh, showed off uh, renders of their first figures with Super 7, which come in with different heads and sizes, very much like the Mattel Elite figures that WWE puts out. And what's going to be happening as well with um, the, the, the the AEW line that is uh, coming through Jazzwares. I had to think about that. Jeremy Padauer, who was the main guy through the Jax years of WWF figures from 1996 through when they lost the contract to Mattel around 2010. He is now the one who's up in the Jazzwares, and he's they're, they're bringing it to WWE. They're really trying to show them up. And uh, these figures look great. In addition to Myers and Hawkins, they also announced that Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson have signed with Super 7 as well. Good congratulations to them. Keeping with the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows confirmed that they have signed with Impact Wrestling. Gallows and Anderson dropped the video at midnight Saturday. Well, it was called Countdown to Fucktown. Uh, and the duo, uh, they were talking about how everyone wants to know where they're going to be going and now that they're free to work. It was revealed that they were standing in the middle of an Impact Wrestling ring where Slammiversary took place Saturday night. And they said, quote, the rumors are true. The internet buzz was correct. We have officially signed with Impact Wrestling, end quote. According to sources, uh, they have signed a two-year deal, which allows them to work dates with New Japan when the opportunity is available once again. And uh, there was so many things that were interesting in that video. If you have a chance to go, go to the Talkin' Shop podcast page on YouTube and watch this video. Quite entertaining, obviously, as you can assume uh, Anderson and Gallows are. But they go into great detail into everything about the Saudi Arabia, about Paul Heyman and how they think that he's a lion sack of shit. And uh, how AJ Styles is the one that talked them into staying and re-signing with WWE because they were supposed to sign with AEW and debut on the debut episode live from DC back in October for AEW and make the jump. And AJ Styles talked them into staying and they burned the AEW bridge, which is why they're here now uh, in Impact Wrestling. Hey, after Impact Slammiversary last night, there's nothing to be ashamed about being on the team with Impact. 
On Tuesday, Diamond Dallas Page released a video talking about COVID-19 hitting his home, and the footage uh, claimed that himself and AEW wrestler QT Marshall had tested positive um, for the virus. Well, not Page, but QT Marshall has. Uh, DDP's uh, video on his YouTube channel that he posted Tuesday afternoon. He says that he experienced symptoms of the virus, but did not test positive after waiting for over a week for the results. Uh, this came after a family member uh, living in his home attended a bridal shower with 16 people in attendance. Uh, Paige says that the people felt comfortable with each other, so they weren't wearing masks. And out of and seven out of the 16 people started to feel symptoms afterwards. Uh, DDP and someone else in his home then began feeling sick, so they got tested. They received results o uh, after over a week. His were negative despite feeling the symptoms. While um, I believe he said his wife's came back positive. Uh, well, not his wife. His uh, the, the 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 family member who did. When you write notes at 12:30. Sometimes you, you lose track what you do here. Uh, Paige says that during the, the time he spoke with uh, QT Marshall, told him that he had also tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Marshall was pulled from Dynamite last month after he had came in contact with a non-wrestling acquaintance who had tested positive for the virus. Uh, Paige says, quote, He tells me 20 days ago he was tested. He's got COVID. He's had three days of symptoms. Nothing after that. His wife, Caroline, uh, she came back negative. She had one symptom after another, from throwing up to freezing to everything. Uh, end quote. Paige said, he got another test today, and he's still positive. Uh, we see that that's still a thing. Um, as AEW shoots a lot of their extra footage still with Diamond Dallas Page at his studio. Probably came into a lot of contact with these things, because Tony Schiavone was not on this uh, week's show. He too took a test, and the test results hadn't even came back yet. So that's where we're at here in in the state of Georgia as it comes to COVID testing. <sighs> Former WWE star Tammy Sitch, aka Sonny, is once again in jail. Uh, Sitch was arrested by the Monmouth County Sheriff's Office uh, in New Jersey on Monday last week for the following charges: eluding a police officer contempt slash violation of domestic violence restraining order and operating a motor vehicle during her second license suspension. The news of her arrest was first reported by PW Insider. No word at this time on the circumstances surrounding her arrest. Uh, Sitch is currently out on parole after being released from prison earlier this year. It's unclear at this time if it could affect that going forward. Damn shame because, you know, she got out and, was, you know, started her OnlyFans page where she claims that she was making more money than she ever did and then was trying to convince all the other former wrestling women to start a page. Well, clearly she might have some money, but she's going to be, you know, using that in court now. Bobby Fulton, you might know him from the tag team of the 80s known as the Fantastics alongside the Steve Kern. Uh, has been hospitalized once again. Fulton's son uh, posted a tweet earlier Sunday revealing that his father is now dealing with cancer in another part of his throat. We wish Bobby and his family all the best at this time. And for our final topic for Quick Sips this week, uh, Raven claimed that he was told that Billy Corgan was going to be shutting down the NWA. So Mr. Corgan quickly took to Twitter to address this rumor. And, uh, Billy stated on his Twitter page, uh, quote, a quick note that the National Wrestling Alliance, which I fought for and won ownership of a few years back, we are not shutting down. So please disregard any and all rumor to effect. 
The at NWA is not and will not be for sale, and those talent who are under contract remain under contract for a reason, which is that we at the NWA are trying to figure out a way to provide our great fans with wrestling content in a very, very tough environment. And most importantly, keep our talent safe and the standard of production you've come to expect from us at a high level. Anything less, in my opinion, is unacceptable. So yes, appreciate the interest, appreciate the chatter, but don't appreciate the unsourced rumors and speculation. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. So I've spared you the first 12 minutes of this program to not talk about this, but we're going to open right up with this quick swig of beer at 8, 12 in the morning. We're going to talk about Extreme Rules. What we watched last night emanated from the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, and a swamp in parts unknown. The pre-show starts off with uh, Kevin Owens versus Buddy Murphy. That's the only match that's on the pre-show tonight. Murphy, uh, some of the highlights from this match, Murphy uh, went to the top rope and gave Owens a chop. Owens climbed up for a superplex and... um, it was blocked. Murphy uh, send uh, Owens down to the mat. Murphy then followed up with a flying meteor for a two count. Uh, Murphy blocked a pop, a powerbomb, and a super kick. Owens uh, kept continued to fight on here. Uh, Murphy dropped him with uh, double knees. Murphy then hit a brain buster for a two count. Owens then hit a springboard moonsault that he does. Pretty pr- impressive for him himself with his size, and he's been doing that for years. Uh, for a two count, Murphy rolled uh, to the apron. Owens came, uh, went for him, uh, but he got dropped over the top rope with uh, neck first. Uh, He got hung out there. Murphy went to the top, uh, but had to roll through. Owens uh, came right back with a super kick and then hit the stunner for the win. Uh, Good match for the pre-show. Now, while it didn't hurt or injure Murphy, it it could have taken him out of being a threat later in the Mysterio match. It's kind of what WWE was trying to allude to by him losing that match. The show actually opens up with the SmackDown tag team titles on the line. So, uh, the eight-time champions, The New Day, defending against Cesar and Shinsuke Nakamura in a tables match. Some of the highlights from this, Kofi and Big E uh, quick bring out a table into the ring uh, very early on in this match. Kofi sent Cesaro face-first into the the, the, uh, plexiglass barrier. Uh, while Biggie stood a table up on the floor, uh, Kofi unloads some rounds on Cesaro with some strikes and a headbutt. Cesaro uh, pressed Kofi uh, with, a, with a press slam high on the apron. High on the apron, easy for me to say. I could put my words together this morning. Uh, but Kofi uh, slid down from behind. Uh, Biggie ran the ropes and then hit the big spear to Cesaro through the ropes, through the ropes, uh, onto the floor. That's always just a scary move. Biggie's a big guy and Cesaro's, you know, big too, but dear lord, right there you're looking at probably about 480 pounds of men just diving at a rapid speed on onto mats that are maybe an inch thick that aren't really that protective. Uh Biggie drag a table uh to the bottom of the ramp now. Kofi uh, worked Cesaro over, then put him on top of said table. Uh, Kofi ran the ropes. Biggie launched him out of the, the uh, over the top rope, but he flew into the table. The Nakamura and Cesaro are at this point holding up 
this uh, was the point where you pretty much say that Kofi died in this match. Uh, they kept control of Kofi on the outside, and he was down out there. They went for a double suplex uh, on Kofi through the table. Biggie made the save. Uh, Biggie got double teamed on the apron. Closing in this match, uh, at this point, the New Day had two tables stacked up at ringside. Biggie uh, looks to superplex Cesaro through them, but Nakamura made the save. Kofi comes in and stops Nakamura. Cesaro rocks Biggie on the top rope. Uh, Kofi sent was sent to the floor at this point by Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Cesaro hit uh, sent Biggie uh, down to the mat, but not through the table on the floor. Nakamura at this point saves Cesaro from uh, the big ending. Cesaro then hits the swing to Big E. Uh, and then into Nakamura's uh, kick while he was swinging him. Very impressive looking. Uh, Big E uh, took the uh, the two challengers here, and uh, Kofi came in with a little more offense, and we're, we're still cooking here as we're working on this finish. Uh, Kofi sent Nakamura to the floor into a table, but hit the edge of it, not through it. Again, this is a tables match, and the only way to win is to send your opponents through the table. More offense by uh, the New Day here. Uh, Kofi brings Cesaro back and uh, with with some lefts and rights in the corner. Kofi takes Cesaro to the top, and uh, he takes a look down at the double tables on the floor. Uh, Cesaro counters, and Nakamura helps uh, with a kick. Nakamura then repositions uh, Cesaro so he can power Kofi up from the top rope, and he put him through the double tables on the floor uh, with a powerbomb, and you're new. SmackDown Tag Team Champions are Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, the New Day have become a fail-safe tag team for WWE over the past five years. Let's face it. Uh, for, for the fact that they had that first title reign, which went a couple months. Then their second title reign, which went over 400 days. And it, it seemed for the longest time they were your world-famous two-time champs. But now they're up to, your, to eight times. So it, it's clearly become every time we need to do something, we'll just put them back on in the New Day. They're an established act. Whatever. Now, I like Cesaro and Nakamura, but not sure, again, how thrilled I am. They've once again created two guys. They've put them together to make them the tag team champions because we know it's just going to end up being they're going to drop the belts, break up, and feud. Newsflash, this isn't a new thing. It's been done over and over and over again. This match was the car wreck that you'd imagine it being. And for what it's worth, car wrecks are usually a great way to start off a show with a crowd and get them riled up. But, you know, this uh, the, the crowd here is, is a bunch of wrestlers. I, I, I don't know. I, again, Cesaro is... If, if Cesaro ever got let free, you bet your ass any company would put him in their main event. He's up there with John Morrison... At this point, with guys that are just, they can put on great matches. They have a great look. But for some reason, Vince McMahon sees not a main eventer in them. And they wonder why their ratings on Monday Night Raw are at all-time lows. They're, they're, they're knocking on the door of having one million viewers. One million viewers. And you say the Attitude Era, the Attitude Era Raw's, we're having about six and a half million viewers. Fast forward to ten years ago, they were they were around two and a half, three million, and those were bad numbers to WWE. That's when they would start panicking, and the McMahons would magically be back on TV, or you'd pull a surprise return of someone to pop a rating. 
We're now hovering a little bit over a million for Monday Night Raw. And you still won't create stars. It just it, it blows my mind with this company. Next up, we get a match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. It's Bailey defending against Nikki Cross. Uh, before the match, Nikki is shown in the back with Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Carrie Sane. And they're all giving Nikki words of encouragement. Uh, going into this match, uh, Nikki sporting new gear. And a new look gear for her big pay-per-view title match. Uh, Bailey had the majority of the offense in this match. I say she dominated the early going. Uh, while Nikki Cross would try to mount a, com- a uh, comeback, she'd get knocked down or countered. Cross finally made her comeback uh, with a series of clotheslines, took the vest off, and you know all that chest slapping that she likes to do. Um, uh, Cross went the top, but missed with a dive and hit uh, and and. Um, Hit a neckbreaker for a two. Bailey missed a splash and ate a turnbuckle before uh, Cross hit a neckbreaker off the apron to the floor. Uh, these two back in the ring, Cross fired up and they traded some clotheslines. Nikki comes. Uh, the finish comes when Sasha puts her boss ring onto the hands of Bailey, uh, who punches Nikki in the stomach, basically using them as brass knuckles, and then hit that face plant. Face plant finish for the win. Every time I mess up, I'm going to take a swig of beer. That's going to be the game I'm playing. Now, my first thing is that, well, I don't agree with the gut shot. I think she should have done what any heel would have done in that situation. You have one opportunity. Swing for the fences. Punch them, connect with the jaw, and do the knockout shot. Because that is way more heat than punching someone in the stomach. That's what I'm saying there. Flair did it for years. And uh, all you do is you do the blind feed. And she did the same thing. You pick up the, the opponent. They pop up. They give you one shot. The referee doesn't have a chance to see it. You cover them and it's over. You put whatever object in your tights. It's heat. It's been going on for decades I don't get understand the the stomach punch, or why that was supposed to hurt her so much. Either way, it, not a great match, but it was what it was here. Up next, we're supposed to get MVP versus Apollo Cruz for the United States title. Tom Phillips announced that due to injury, Apollo Cruz was not able to pass a pre-match physical, and as a result, he'd be unable to defend his United States Championship against MVP tonight. So MVP declares himself the winner and the United States champion, and I think for the first time in the history of wrestling where something like this happened, it went unattested. Yeah, that's right. No one came out to argue or dispute this. Very weird. Says to me that along with the Orton and Big Show match for tonight's Raw, they're going to put this title match there. I think they're just looking to build this TV episode and you're going to see more of that. I believe there's another match or two that I think you're going to see tonight or at this point this week on the television shows. Side note, on this show was supposed to be Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus in a bar fight, which don't think you're getting out of because they moved it, and it will air this week on SmackDown because they're hoping that it's going to pop a rating. Jesus. You know what it's going to do for me? I'm going to hit the fast forward button. I ain't got to fucking watch that shit because... That match belonged on this just shit of a pay-per-view. Get all of it out of the way so we can might be able to get back to to normalcy. Two weeks ago, the TV for both Raw and SmackDown was very good. 
And then we went right back into the shitter. And this pay-per-view continues with shit. With an eye for an eye match. Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio. Remember this match. And the only way that you can win is to gouge your opponent's eye out inexplicably. Some of the highlights of this match, Seth set Mysterio, staring him first into a table, uh, driving the air out of uh, Mysterio. Seth yells, none of this would have happened had you have just listened. End quote. Rollins exclaimed that, grabbed a chair and threatened to drive it into Mysterio's eye. Rollins eventually gets a toolbox out from underneath the ring, and he grabs some kind of sharp object. It didn't look like an ice pick or a, or a screwdriver, but it had length and it was sharp. He charged at Mysterio, who's uh, against the outside stairs, and Rollins, of course, missed, which uh, gave Mysterio a chance to to take some momentum here. These two back in the ring. Rollins uh, went for, uh, had a kendo stick out. I like still refer to them as Singapore Canes because I'm an ECW mark from back in the day. And uh, he tried to uh, hit Mysterio with it, or throw him into it that he had lodged in the in the corner there. And Mysterio fought off, and eventually uh, he hit the uh, scented senton that he does, followed by a frog splash. He got Rollins on his shoulders, and he used he he broke a kendo stick. Now this was interesting. He breaks the kendo stick, and he was digging it into the face of Seth Rollins. And I, I kind of thought that this was going to be the finish. That's something that you've never really seen before. You've never not only seen some... I mean, you've seen people break kendo sticks, usually just over someone's head or body from just beating them, but you've never seen somebody break it and then use it as a weapon. That was innovative to me, and I kind of figured that it would make sense that the babyface, who had already had his eye gouged out at the beginning of this feud, what started this feud, would be getting his revenge on the heel. Well, this is WWE, and you don't get what makes sense here. Ray hits a 619, and then he delivers a stomp to Rollins on the outside of the ring here. He removes the black patch from his mask that's been there for the last couple of weeks, and he drove Rollins' eye into the steps. At this point, you once again think the match is over. Nope. While he's doing this, Rollins swings for the fences backwards. Low blows Ray Mysterio. He then stomps Rey Mysterio on the outside. And then he pushes Rey's eye through the step, the exact same eye, that right eye, right back through the steps. <sighs> Rollins then goes back after Rey, but then sees that his eyeball has now apparently popped out because that makes sense when you, you know, you push somebody's eye straight into a point of a steel step. It doesn't explode. It doesn't implode. It pops straight out. You thought about that? Do you, do you understand how that makes absolutely no fucking sense at all? Good. This is the point where Rollins sees that his eyes popped out and proceeds to vomit. What the fuck are we watching on this show? Like, I I don't think I've ever turned off a wrestling pay-per-view before. But if I didn't have to actually talk about this, I would have shut this shit off at this point. 
Horrible stipulation for this match. Sounds to me like Rey Mysterio has still not signed a contract. The obvious story would have been for Rey Mysterio, the babyface here, to win. But if I'm WWE and this guy has not signed a contract, it completely makes sense to not put him over here, especially when uh, we know that Rollins is under contract. The only thing that I think that's keeping Ray there is the fact that Dominic is under a WWE contract. He's working on a handshake agreement, but they know at any point in time he could jump ship to AEW. I don't know. Storyline has I've I've been a fan of the Seth Rollins Messiah gimmick since it started, like I said several weeks ago on the show. But the storyline has just been pure garbage, and I'm not liking what it's doing for the character. A couple matches left on the show. Up next, uh, probably the best match on this show. Probably the worst ending on this show for matches that took place in the ring. Sasha Banks attempting to become Sasha Two Belts when she takes on the Raw Women's Champion, Asuka, here. Banks went with the bank statement early, but Asuka escaped. Later, she tried for a sunset flip bomb. Asuka stomped out of it. And blasted her with a side uh, knee, uh, sliding knee to the face. Uh, Asuka, uh, Sasha hit the double knees to the midsection off the top rope to Asuka, who's posted on the middle rope in the corner. Sasha blocked uh, the hip attack and teased a German suplex off of the apron. These two were outside of the ropes, standing on the apron. Uh, the champion then elbowed out and, and tried to hit a German suplex of her own. Uh, Sasha escaped and then powerbombed Asuka into the plexiglass at ringside. Uh, Banks then hit a frog splash and transitioned into the bank statement. Asuka grabbed the ropes, uh, causing the break of the hold. Asuka then delivered a release German suplex, followed by a running hip attack, followed, uh, but Banks still kicked out of two. Sasha fought out of a superplex attempt and dropped Asuka to the mat. At this point, Banks took too much time and Asuka was able to recover. And went for a German suplex off the top rope, but Sasha landed on her knees. And when she landed on her knees to catch herself, they quickly use this when Banks goes to the top rope and acts like she slips off the rope, but because of her knee, and that's what she was selling. This was the best part of the match, I feel. Because I feel that this is really where you're going to start the show and have your footage going forward. Sasha talked a couple weeks ago about being very jealous of Bailey having the belt, which is the reason why she wanted this match, and she wanted a title of her own. At this point, Sasha's holding her knee, and she almost starts like, she doesn't cry, but you could see in her face the distress. She starts to say over and over again, I have to be champion. I have to be champion. She grabs Asuka, continues yelling this at her. Right after that is where this match completely fell apart. Bailey slides in one of the tag belts. The referee grabs it and gets rid of it. And it's he's taking forever in a day. Bailey and Carrie Sane start going at it on the outside. Bailey hits a belly Bailey to belly onto the mat. Then she slides uh, another tag title into the ring. At this point, the ref gets that. While this is happening, there's a weird camera angle where Carrie Sane kind of pops up and it looks like she handed Asuka something. It never gets addressed by the announcers. 
At this point, Bailey's in the ring with the referee, and we have this title that I said, because she threw both tag titles in here. At this point, Asuka gets to her feet behind Sasha. Sasha blind feeds, ducks the green mist shot, which the referee ends up taking. At this point, Bailey hits Asuka with the tag belt. Bailey then uh, takes the shirt off of the referee and makes the three count. The bell rang. Sasha and Bailey left with all the gold. It sounds to me like this match is going to happen again tonight on Raw. I feel like this could be where, because of Bailey, Sasha loses, and we get the ball rolling going into SummerSlam. Because there's no way that we can stretch this Bailey Sasha thing out until next Mania. Which is a damn shame because this storyline had it been in front of an audience, I feel it could have actually made the company money. Like not as big as Hogan Savage, but for 2020, good money. These two are legit friends, and they've really built this storyline that you know is going to implode. But when it finally implodes, had it been done right, you're gonna have you would have had a defined babyface, a defined heel, and then you'd been be able to continue building that till you finally hit the climax when you do your title change, which I would assume would be Sasha taking the belt from Bailey. This ending is just too weird to me. Yeah, I know Paul Heyman came out. And made the count at one night stand 06 when Cena dropped the belt to Rob Van Dam. And their, their, their reasoning for that was, well, this was in an ECW venue and it was ECW rules. So Paul Heyman being the owner of ECW could do whatever the hell he wants to. And that's why that pin was valid. This one, however, people are saying shouldn't be valid due to the fact that Bailey's not an official. And they kept saying that over and over and over again. I don't know. Just just um interesting whoever thought of 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 that. It was very Russo-esque to me. Not saying Russo's back, but just a thought. Almost there. Dolph Ziggler versus Drew McIntyre is up next for the WWE Championship. Ziggler announced uh at the start of this match that this match would be extreme rules for himself only, and that the championship would change hands if Drew McIntyre was counted out or disqualified. Uh so you can imagine the entire Still in this match, Dolph is trying to get Drew to disqualify himself and get counted out. That's the the heel cheap tactic here. Some of the highlights here: Ziggler hit a famouser from the announce desk to Drew on the floor, but Drew made it back in at nine. Uh, Drew set up for a claymore kick, but Dolph uh, hit him with a chair right to the knee. Got a near fall from it. Ziggler climbed the the ropes and uh, drove McIntyre through a table on the outside with a big elbow drop. Ziggler screamed, uh, you know, eventually, once again, as Drew got back in at nine. Uh, McIntyre connected with the Glasgow kiss, but Dolph uh, then came right back with a Famouser, a zigzag, and an unrange. Eventually, McIntyre uh, kipped up, hit the Claymore for the win. Another uh, match on this pay-per-view. Moving right on in to what probably has already outdone many people's worst match of the year, which I think people would have had as the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders from the Money in the Bank. Well, not the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Dear Lord, what pay-per-view was between Money in the Bank and Extreme Rules? Backlash. It was backlash. Quarantine life, people. 
It's a swamp match, non-title, Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman. Bray, uh, Braun arrives in a truck. I guess he didn't want to have his windshield get destroyed once again. Uh, Bray is sitting in a rocking chair. The lights in the woods that are lighting this area go out, and then Bray is gone when they come back on. Braun then gets attacked from behind by a man with a shovel, who turns out to be none other than Braun Strowman. Yeah. You heard that right. Braun Strowman, Strowman Express Braun Strowman, gets attacked by Braun Strowman, Black Sheep Braun Strowman. The next scene of this cinematic feature, Braun is now chained up inside of a shack. Bray walks up to him with the lantern. A woman, who I'd assume is supposed to be Sister Abigail, has a snake which bites Braun in the stomach. The next scene, Bray wakes up next to a fire and beats up two guys dressed as Harper and Rowan. I swore the one guy was Dominic Dijakovic, and not even like they tried to cover it up, but the whole time I'm staring at this guy and I'm thinking to myself, this looks like Dominic Dijakovic. Very weird if it was the case. He then sees uh, what appears to be Sister Abigail again, but this time it's Alexa Bliss. And they play some footage, and while this is happening, she says that she always knew that he wanted her, and now that they finally can be together. Very strange here. At this point, Bray comes from behind and starts trying to gouge the eyes of Braun Strowman. I guess this would be okay if three matches earlier, we just didn't have somebody lose their fucking eye. Are you fucking serious? Can somebody, can somebody, I know they furloughed a bunch of their agents, but can like the one or two they're working, maybe discuss like, hey, maybe when you're putting the cinematic match together, or you could always edit it out. We have an eye for an eye match. Don't go after someone else's eyes. Jesus. At this point is when Bray and Braun finally end up in the swamp fighting into the water. They tease that after Bray throws Braun, I said that backwards, after Braun throws Bray into this lake of water, that this show is over. Braun says, it's finally over. The logo at the bottom of the screen goes away, and the copyright shows up. And this whole time, I was expecting like the Jason Voorhees jump out of the water, freeze ending to this show. So that you know he's not dead and it continues. But no, he does jump up and he pulls Braun into the water. And then a couple seconds later, the fiend emerged, says, let me in. And this show went off the air. We got through it. I need a swig of beer. This show sucked. Negative 10 stars. I can't believe that this existed or I had to even talk about it. Can we please stop? I'll say that again. Can we please stop with these cinematic matches? The first two were great. And everyone since has just been hard to get through. And they're getting harder and harder to get through. This was horrible. Garbage. Let's talk about something that was not garbage, though. Saturday night, Impact Wrestling presented Slammiversary. 
We open with the Rascals Open Challenge, which gets accepted by the Motor City Machine Guns. Alex Shelley, Alex Shelley Chris Saban are back in Impact Wrestling. The Rascals uh, in this match isolated Saban uh, from Shelley early on in this match. The Machine Guns, despite being at this point a 14-year-old act at this point, they still looked great. Uh, they might not be as fast as they were. Uh, but they still showed the same, you know, chemistry that they've had for years, which is what made them a mainstream act and a tag team that has been able to go everywhere around the world and wrestle in different companies. Uh, the guns end up putting Dez away with a double package pile driver for the win. Great opening match here. Uh, Friday night, the Good Brothers, like we had talked about earlier, Gallows and Anderson, announced that they had signed a two-year deal with Impact Wrestling. Uh, now that Impact Wrestling arguably, arguably, has one of the strongest tag team divisions right now. They have their own teams like the North, as well as the Rascals, but now you're adding the Motor City Machine Guns back into the fold. You're adding the Good Brothers back into the fold, and I'm sure more acts are going to be coming along with that. I'm, 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 you know, they have other tag teams like the Triple XLs, but they're more of the novelty team. I'm talking great known teams right there you have four teams some of which have never locked up before and that's what where your money is going forward you have brand new fresh feuds and you can only help hope that they're gonna book this stuff right so that these other younger teams are going to be able to get up to the level of the, the teams that are coming back and in the guns and anderson and uh gallows up next, Tommy Dreamer versus Moose for the TNA World Title. Uh, the story here is that Moose is a god-gifted athlete, but is essentially a piece of shit in the backstage, and that the story is that Tommy Dreamer has been telling as to why he's picked this fight with Moose. If you recall, I played the promo a couple of weeks back on this. Um, that promo that Tommy cut on Moose was great. This match, not so much. Tommy's out here wearing a shirt that says, quote, Moose sucks eggs, very reminiscent of the old Terry Funk shirt about Dusty Rhodes. It said Dusty sucks eggs. So, you know, cool. We know that Tommy Dreamer, big, big Dusty Rhodes fan. Moose is out here with a white strap now on the TNA World Title, which makes it pop a little more. I kind of dug that. Uh, Dreamer went to work early on Moose. Moose reversed when he crotched uh, Dreamer on the guardrail. Uh, Tommy eventually hits the white Russian leg sweep, reminiscent of the Sandman back in the old ECW days. Love that. Uh, he ends up putting a trash can, uh, Moose ends up putting a trash can over Dreamer's head and delivered a drop kick to Dreamer. That was quite interesting. Uh, he introduced, uh, at this point, a pile of chairs, brings a, them out, and uh, hits the unranged to Dreamer. Moose ended up crashing into the pile of chairs, which gave Tommy the opportunity to roll out of the ring and come back in with a bag of thumbtacks. Can't have an extreme match without thumbtacks, it seems, as of the narrative the last uh, at least 10 years or 15 years at least. Uh, he puts them uh, out on the ring. At this point, uh, Moose hit him with a low blow and then slammed Tommy's face and upper body, body first, onto the tacks. And then Moose hits the lights out spear to retain the TNA title. Again, not a great match, but they got it done with early in the show. We move on. Up next, the gauntlet match for the number one contendership for the knockout title. This is literally a Royal Rumble match. There's a new entrant every minute. Eliminations occur when one competitor was thrown over the top and onto the floor. 
When the match came down to the final two competitors, it would take place in the form of a traditional wrestling match. It started off with Kylie Ray versus Tasha Steeles. Ty Valkyrie in at number three, but her manager, Johnny Bravo, enters in at her spot, dressed as Ty Valkyrie. He got tossed right out. Kimberly at number four, Kara Hogan at number five, Susie at number six. Susie eliminated Tasha Steeles. Katie Forbes is out at seven. Forbes stops here to twerk with Kara Hogan. Then tosses her aside. Madison Rain uh, in at number eight, the former five-time knockout champion in here. Uh, she paired off with Hogan. Katie Forbes uh, and Susie, uh, and Havoc is in at number nine. Susie, of course, all she says is hi to everybody. She's like 10-second Tom, but she just says hi. She ended up eating a kick here uh, to the head for her kindness of saying hi to Havoc. Kylie Ray takes exception to the attack on her friend and receives a choke, a choke slam for it. So, you know, that shows what happens when you try to help out your friend. At this point, the real Taya Valkyrie finally enters the match at number 10, followed by Alicia Edwards at number 11, followed by Nevaeh at number 12. Rosemary out at number 13 and went right after Susie, her uh, former rival, uh, as uh, uh, Sue Young. That, that's what the name is. I deserve a swig of beer for, for messing up again. Currently 845 <laughs> for those keeping track. Uh, she dumped uh, Susie over the top rope. Johnny Bravo returns at number 14, but this time he is dressed as Rosemary. All the tension between Val Valkyrie, Rosemary, and Bravo at this point is finally where it boils over. Eventually, somehow, Bravo eliminates Havoc. Kylie Ray eliminates Bravo again for the second time. Alicia and Nevaeh fought on the apron. This is where Kimberly... Uh, Crashed into both of them, sent them both to the floor, and eliminating both Alicia and Nevaeh. Rosemary uh, eliminated Kara Hogan. And the match comes down to Rosemary, Kylie Ray, Kimberly, and Taya Valkyrie. Uh, Kimberly gets eliminated, uh, which left Ray, uh, Kylie Ray to essentially battle for herself against the team of Rosemary and Valkyrie. At this point, Rosemary gets eliminated, uh, leaving it down to Kylie Ray and Taya for the one-on-one uh, -on -one match here. Uh, and Kylie pretty much ran through Taya Valkyrie, super kick to pick up the win in a future title shot, the knockouts championship of whomever wins the title match later tonight between Jordan Grace and Diona Perrazzo. After this, Heath jumps the guardrail, uh, grabs a microphone, which is only playing through the house system, and cuts a promo saying that he wants to be the final member of the world title match tonight. At this point, Rahit Raju comes out and says that he'll be damned if Heath gets a world title match before he does, and says that the last time Heath got a world title match, it didn't last long, which was two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw when he was brought back for that one-off with Drew McIntyre. These two brawl and Heath made quick work of Rahit. Up next, Willie Mack defending the X Division title against Chris Bay. Willie Mack had a full Razor Ramon-inspired gear, gear, which looked really cool. Uh, that, that baby blue Ramon gear. Uh, no Johnny Swinger at ringside for this match with Chris Bay. Uh, some of the highlights from this, Chris Bay hit a slingshot, sling blade to Willie Mack. Mack delivered two open-handed slaps to the face of Chris Bay. Uh, he then uh, caught a flying bay in a sky high, and a sky high, sorry, uh, Willie Mack drove Bay into the corner with an exploder. Uh, Bay faked a neck injury here, then uh, hit Mack with a, with a kick. 
Willie then answered with a stunner and tried for the six-star frog splash, but Bay moved out of the way, which gave him the chance to hit the Art of Finesse, the springboard cutter, for the win. And your new X Division champion is Chris Bay. To be honest, I'm shocked that they switched the the, the belt here. Uh, they've been, you know, really putting a lot of stock into Willie Mac. Uh, but what makes sense to me is that when they put the belt on Willie Mac, was the eventual breakup or loss of the title would have been to Rich Swan, his tag team partner. Um, but Swan has been injured since I believe last year's Slammiversary pay per view. Uh, so the fact that they were able to now get this belt on to the young guy Chris Bay, who's been doing some good stuff, and he's young and he's he's the heel, he's got the heater Johnny Swinger for him, so it makes sense. Uh, especially with a guy like Willie Mack, it's probably better for him to be chasing the title here. Backstage, we see Heath meeting up with Rhino. The two embrace, which is a nice little nod to the run they had a couple years back while they were the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Uh, Scott Demore uh, comes up to them and once again says that, you know, Heath, who's wearing his free agent shirt, is, you know, referring to himself in his promo as the hottest free agent. And he goes, that's the one thing is that he is actually a free agent and not an actual impact contracted wrestler. And that this is a close set, and no guests are allowed, so he tells Heath that he has to leave the building immediately. A backstage announcer thinks she's knocking on the good brother's door, and Rich Swan comes out on crutches. He says that he'll be keeping his eye on the world title match tonight, and once he's cleared to compete, he's coming for the world title. Up next, the North defending the Impact World Titles against Ken Shamrock, and Sammy Callahan. Now, as you'd imagine, a big part of the storyline is Callahan and Shamrock possibly being on the same page, but then still having their issues. Where they're not on the same page, obviously, there, but Ethan Page and Alexander are, are just really freaking good. And it shows now because they've been the be- the tag team champs for over a year now, and I feel that they were the ones who held this match together. There was a lot of questionable things I saw in this match, Shamrock at this one at one point has the ankle lock on Ethan Page. Alexander pushes Sammy Callahan into Shamrock to break up the pin. Naturally, here Shamrock looks at Callahan, asks him what he's doing because that's always what happens when somebody, you know, breaks up a pin that's your partner, but he's laying on the mat next to you. And he asks him what happens, and in natural Sammy character, he looks at him right in the face, says fuck you, and that he was pushed by Alexander. Sammy at this point hits a pile driver for a two count that gets broken up because Ken Shamrock, who is standing in the ring right behind this pin, just lets uh, freaking Alexander break up the pin. Really weird spot. It looked like Shamrock was completely out of place. And, and needed direction, which uh, crazy for somebody who has probably been in professional wrestling longer than like these guys could speak. <laughs> Ethan Page is a young guy. <sighs> Shamrock hits a plancha over the top rope, but ate shit for it and crashed headfirst on the floor. At this point, the North... Uh, Get the win after hitting a double neutralizer onto Sammy. After the match, the North cut a promo, a celebratory promo, if you will, that criticized all their detractors, 
Page labeled them as the best tag team in Impact history, uh, which brings out Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin, the Motor City Machine Guns, who take exception to that. And they announced that they will be challenging the North for the tag team titles this Tuesday night on Access TV. That is a fresh, fresh match, which, for what it's worth, you could have built up to, but you can give them a great match. I'm sure that they're going to have a great match, and I'll be looking forward to talking about that on next week's episode. Bound for Glory, the staple pay-per-view, the WrestleMania for Impact Wrestling, will be taking place on Saturday night, October the 24th. I guess that, realistically, all of the companies are are taking Saturdays back. You know, when pay-per-view started... Boxing matches were always Saturday. And wrestling was predominantly on Sundays for what it was with pay-per-views, but they were never pay-per-views. Like, WrestleMania was a closed-circuit event. The Wrestling Classic was a closed-circuit event. WrestleMania 2 even was a closed-circuit event. Your first pay-per-view event was WrestleMania 3, and it was on a Sunday. And besides the Survivor Series, which took place on Thursday for the first couple years, wrestling was always on a Sunday pay-per-view scale. Now... Since AEW, AEW has uh, started doing the Saturday night things. ROH has always ran Friday nights on pay-per-view. And uh, the NWAs ran some, some Saturday shows as well. And it looks like Impact is moving to Saturdays as well. So good for them. I think that it had more energy and it made for a more enjoyable show being on a Saturday night as opposed to a Sunday here. Next up, Deanna Perrazzo takes on Jordan Grace for the knockouts title. Perrazzo uh, was working the left arm of Grace for this match, trying to set her up for her armbar. Uh, Deanna had the armbar at one point on Jordan Grace. While Grace was trying to get out, she uh, kicked her Perrazzo in the face, uh, but didn't even get to break uh, the hold. Eventually, Jordan finally escaped and was able to get a sleeper crossbody-scissor combination on to Perrazzo. Grace followed up with a Michinoku driver uh, for a two count. Uh, Grace uh, hit a series of slams. Eventually, Perrazzo countered one into a released German suplex. Grace answered with one of her own. Deanna delivered the pendulum, a snap version of a suplex for a two count. Uh, at this point, Grace uh, delivered a running forearm in the corner, followed by a Vader bomb for a two. In the end, Deanna was able to lock on a double arm breaker, and Grace was heard saying that I give up, and we have a new knockout champion, Deanna Perrazzo. This match was excellent. I'm a fan of both of these women. Deanna Perrazzo has been a star for years, but nobody has ever pulled the trigger on her. And uh, To be honest, I'm not sure if it's her promo ability or if it's her look. I think she has a great look. Um, but compared to some of the women in WWE, she's surrounded by a bunch of women who are honestly you know, very tight in shape uh, and or just the larger monster type like Nia Jax. And she's kind of in the middle. But other companies aren't looking at that. It's not about looks. It's about what they can bring to the table and what they're going to bring to the company. And anybody that has passed on Deanna Peraza was quickly going to learn that they've made a mistake. I see that WWE's. Tr- I see WWE trying to bring her back in a couple of years once she's had that that stardom, and 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 been a champion because this isn't where it's going to end. I guarantee you, she is going to continue moving forward, not with just Impact. I could see her going and doing other things and and really becoming the star that she's always been. But WWE, I'm sure, if they bring her back. They're going to uh, put her right back where she was. 
The Impact of this show, the main event, is for the Impact World title, the recently vacated Impact World title. It's the Rascals Trey, it's Ace Austin, and the former world champion Eddie Edwards uh, against a mystery opponent that ended up being Rich Swan, who we saw earlier, like I said, on crutches, but apparently he's now cleared. Nice little swerve there because they were teasing the whole time that it was going to be in EC3 or, or someone else that has been a champion. Right before the match could get underway, we get another entrance, and this time it's the world-class maniac, Eric Young, returning to Impact, and now has made this a five-way elimination for the vacated Impact world title. Trey and Austin uh, kind of rekindled their uh, rivalry here at ringside while Young and Edwards were fighting inside the ring. Uh, Young hit a uh, belly-to-belly suplex. Swanson uh, Young to the floor here. Uh, Madman Fulton ends up interfering on behalf of Ace Austin, and he got sent away from the ringside. Uh, Young ends up hitting a spike pile driver to eliminate Trey at this point. Later, Ace Austin uh, and, and Eddie Edwards continued uh, working each other over on the top rope. Eventually, Young hit a powerbomb, uh, powerbombed Rich Swan into them, sending them crashing through a table. Swan ha- uh, had his neck, uh, you know, had, had his neck injured here, storyline-wise, obviously. Uh, he, he countered with a pile driver into a victory roll, which eliminated Eric Young. At this point, Young snapped and uh, beat down on the ankle the recently in, uh, the prior injured, but now healed ankle of Rich Swan. then wrapped it with a chair and stomped on it uh, viciously, uh, leaving uh, Swan laying there. Young saying, see you around, Rich. You brought this on yourself, which is good. I like heel Eric Young, and this is way better than any comedy spots that he was known for back in the day. They're going to take him seriously. And he's got that look like he had with Sanity. So it's it's a good thing that you now have Eric Young back in there. He's he's a been around for most of the ride for Impact, and he is a veteran in the ring. Continuing this match, Ace Austin slides back into the ring and takes advantage of the injured Rich Swan and hits the fold to eliminate Rich Swan. Down to Eddie Edwards and Ace Austin at this point here. If you recall, Eddie Edwards should have been in the original title match that got moved months ago and then made it into this match, and then Ace Austin won the whole uh, tournament that happened. So he was the real number one contender in this match. So we're down to the real number one contender and a former ch- former champion, Eddie Edwards, who tried to hit the fold again, but uh, Eddie tossed him into the corner with an overhead suplex. Ace Austin at this point uh, went for the... Well, Eddie hit the Boston knee party, and uh, Austin was able to kick out of it. Austin finally hit the fold, but Edwards kicked out of that, so now we both kicked out of each other's finishes. Uh, eventually, Eddie hit another Boston knee party followed by the diehard for the win, and your new Impact World Champion is Eddie Edwards. At this point, Madman Fulton re, uh, reappeared and attacked Edwards. At this point, you get the debut of the Good Brothers, Anderson and Gallows. They come out and interrupted this beatdown. They teased that they were going to attack Eddie Edwards, but then uh, they went into action uh, going after uh, Madman Fulton and Ace Austin. The machine gun hit the gun stun. First time we've seen or even heard the term gun stun in over four years. It was great to see that back. Followed by a magic killer on Ace Austin and the Good Brothers and the new champ. Had some celebratory beer skis in the ring. Uh, a nice way to end the pay-per-view. But it's not the end of the pay-per-view. 
we see a quick the screen the screen quicks to black with a scratch three logo that comes on the screen we see the re uh, emergence of EC3 who throws a glass against a brick wall and intensely stares into the screen as we fade to black. On the debut of this program, Power Bombs and Potables, I said that Impact Wrestling was doing great stuff. In the last four months, it's really been uh. But I thoroughly enjoyed this show tonight, and I feel that now that we have brought in the new talent and other well-known talent, it's only going to help this company and hopefully they'll continue to be able to put out a good product. I mean, it's easy to, to do that against WWE, I feel. But Impact was the number two for years. And AEW just walked in and took that spot a year ago. So you know Impact wants it back. Again, great pay-per-view by the people at Impact Wrestling. And I, I will be looking forward to what happens this week on their program. So because of all of this and the fact that we covered so much of the, the main stuff. I'm not going to talk about Raw from last week. I will mention that tonight we're going to get Randy Orton versus The Big Show, a match that you would have assumed would have been on pay-per-view, but they held it off due to apparent the fact that they're trying to pop a rating uh, because they've been building to this match. So instead of giving the payoff on a pay-per-view, they're going to give you the payoff on TV. I assume you're going to probably get a rematch for the women's title with Asuka and Sasha Banks uh, as well. So it seems like... This is going to be uh, a very heavy rematched show from last night and some other stuff uh, tonight on Monday Night Raw. As for SmackDown this past week, a couple of notes on that show. The show opened. It was a very unique way that they did the open here. The open of the show had quick backstage promos from everyone that's going to be on the show tonight. So everybody from AJ Styles to Matt Riddle to John Morrison in The Miz, to Alexa Bliss, who's talking about her uh, Moment of Bliss segment, to Braun Strowman. It was very reminiscent of Saturday Night's main event back in the day. I loved it. What's old can always be new again. And I'd love it if it became the new norm for the show each week. And I said this, and I wrote this right as I started watching the show. The weird thing is, is that they kept going back to these same locations and doing more promos throughout the show. I always felt that it was a nice thing to start off the Saturday Night's main event show with basically like a tease for, hey, Here's what you're going to get tonight, and here's what everybody has to say about their matches. Really cool concept, but I thought that the going back to the vignettes and the stuff was a little overkill for me. Um, some some interesting things. Braun ran the fuck over John Morrison, and not The Miz, once again. So, officially, John Morrison has hit his ceiling with the company. Screw all the things that he's done the past 10 years. Winning world titles all over the world, stuff like that. To Vince, he's just Miz's sidekick, apparently. And that's a damn shame. A couple other things I want to talk about. Kayla Braxton has had the coronavirus twice. Why the fuck was she all over SmackDown and this pay-per-view last night? Why? Why is she anywhere near these people? More Charlie Caruso. More Mackenzie Mitchell. No Kayla Braxton. Thank you. The only match I want to talk about on this show... Matt Riddle versus AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title. Some of the highlights here. Riddle used uh, waist control early on. Styles uh, hit a few gut wrench suplexes. Styles rolls out of the ring and was uh, kneed uh, back on the floor uh, when he tried to re-enter the ring from uh, Matt Riddle. Styles eventually was able to drop Riddle with a face buster and then hung him uh, on the top rope uh, to uh, stop the early momentum that Riddle had going. Styles then uh, tried 
to go strike for strike with Riddle, uh, but ate a bunch of knees to the face. Styles came back, hitting a huge kick to Riddle's face. Uh, Riddle managed to counter the, the follow-up, uh, Styles Clash, and hit a ripcord knee. Styles had uh, Riddle locked up in the calf crusher uh, late in the match, but Riddle countered into the bro mission. Uh, right when it seemed like Riddle was about to win, Styles was able to reverse it into a pin to retain the title. After the match, Styles offered the handshake to Riddle, which Riddle accepted. Naturally, you think, oh, I guess that means AJ Styles is turning babyface. But within a half second, right from behind, King Corbin attacks Matt Riddle. AJ Styles walks off, and he hits the end of days, which ended that show. Not sure how um, how thrilled I am with the idea of a Corbin Riddle feud, but Corbin has been the guy for the last year that you put against a babyface to really escalate them to the next level, so I guess I'm okay with that. Uh, but that's that was the only match I really wanted to talk to uh, in regards to mainstream uh, WWE. Um, next up, we're going to quick talk about some of the stuff that happened on this week's episode of AEW and NXT, and we're going to wrap this show up. Uh, really, really wanted to just get through <laughs> the, the mess that was Sunday's pay-per-view and the good that was Saturday's pay-per-view from Impact Wrestling. So talking about AEW this week, they opened this match, the the show, with uh, saying that Tony Schiavone's not there. You have Taz replacing Schiavone for the night, which I kind of felt weird because Taz was really doing the straight announcer here. Little heel digs, but for the fact that they have made him the full-blown heater for the, the challenger, who's on this show, the challenger for the world title as the heel, I didn't really like that, but that's just me. Quick swig of beer. Sonny Kiss challenging uh, Cody for this uh, TNT title. They tease in this that Cody is Cody's going very heel in this. Arn tells him that he needs to essentially pull his head out of his ass and get with the program, which kind of almost seems like that might be the the dissension there. Sonny Kiss got a lot of offense in, but to me. It was just very sloppy. Not saying that Sunny Kiss is horrible, but what I am saying is that Sunny Kiss has not, for somebody who's been on this roster the whole time, he has not had the opportunity to show that they should have been able to hang with Cody Rhodes for more than five minutes. To the credit of Arn Anderson, the manager of Cody, he went out and was disappointed after this match because he said that this match should have been over in six minutes or less, and it was not. But basically, after this match, Cody ends up winning uh, with the crossroads. But after the match, he he hugs Sonny Kiss, and in the back you see Arn Anderson looking on, very disgusted about this. Almost seeming like they might be teasing that these two are going to be turning together. This show, they use this as the equivalent of, here's your blow-off pay-per-view, which would have been the week before at Fighter Fest. This is the week, the night after, or the week after, and we're starting all of our stuff over again as we now build to our next big show, which will be all out on Labor Day weekend. Uh, they've been talking about online, there's a chance that they're trying to establish a new four horsemen, if you will. 
this whole show, you had, there were several points they went to the camera. In that first match, they kept going to Tully, who was watching on from, uh, he was not with Sean Spears. He was looking on the ring. Maybe almost looked like he's scouting Cody. Next up, FTR, Lucha Brothers, in a match that you would have thought would have been a clash of styles, but realistically, it 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 wasn't. You know, you FTR was able to get the Lucha Brothers to slow down during this match. And, uh, you know, FTR... They came into this company and I had just great expectations for what they were going to do with them. The Lucha Brothers, they work their own style. And that's the the thing to me is that you're not a great team when you can't adapt to other people. They slightly adapt and by adapt, they meant slow down and they cooperated a little bit with the things that FTR wanted. But the majority of this match, they were laying in chops to Dax Harwood, and they opened up his chest. He was bleeding from his chest. I have never seen anything like that. And they just kept going in, but FTR kept fighting back. The finish of this match, I loved. It was Harwood and Ray Phoenix in the ring. They yanked off, he quick yanked off the mask of Ray Phoenix and rolled him up for a three count, which is... A babyface move, now the very Eddie Guerrero esque, to win the match. But the thing is, is this company has been around for a year, and the Young Bucks did a very similar finish on the Lucha Brothers a year ago. So we're not too far removed from that with the exact same team. A little weird, but I liked the execution of that after this match. FTR looks right at the hard camera, points at Tully, and throw up the four. We're continuing that there. This is the point where Kenny Omega comes out with a with a cooler full of beer. He gives each one to Dax, one to Cash, and Kenny even says he's going to have one just this one time. They all crack open their beers, and then the FTR pour their beers over the head of Kenny Omega, and... Now Omega's pissed. Omega's kind of snapping and the Bucks are holding him back. Uh, This is also after FTR super kicked the Butcher and the Blade to get the keys back to FTR's truck and gave it back to FTR. So now FTR goes to leave in their truck, which unfortunately for them wouldn't start on TV after about 15 seconds. I guess they figured it wasn't starting, so they dumped it. Uh, Better than, you know, Goldberg, who couldn't get his car to start and then just started chasing after somebody by feet back years ago. Moving on here, Chris Jericho came out and cut a promo saying that he is now the demo god because no matter what, it's nice to have the win in the ratings overall, but really the the advertisers only worry about the 18 to 49 demographic and he is undefeated in that and has now named himself the demo god, which Jericho always giving himself something new. Uh, and you should have known something was going to be up. He's out here in a white blazer. Everybody else pretty much is wearing white. And they're carrying orange juice to the ring. At this point, Orange Cassidy comes out 
from the crowd and he gives the lazy thumbs up, turns it to the lazy thumbs down. And in the most WWE spot AEW has ever put on, gallons and gallons and gallons of orange juice with orange chunk fell onto the inner circle in the ring. Uh, Ortiz was swimming in it. The classic Vince McMahon spot from uh, the beer bath years ago. And uh, (laughs) Jericho asked for a towel. They toss him a towel ringside, and it ends up being a a the the full on portrait of Orange Cassidy that's on his t shirt, uh, on a towel, which pisses off Jericho even more. This was a tremendous comedy spot. I enjoyed it, and um, here after this, Jericho joins the announce desk, and he says that he will give Cassidy a rematch. I guess that's all it took. Lucha. Uh, Express versus the Elite, which is the Bucks and Kenny uh, on this show. You know, I hate Marco Stunt. And everybody talks about, oh, well, you know, Marco Stunt takes moves better than anybody else. Yeah, well, Marco Stunt is fucking 80 pounds soaking wet. And when Kenny Omega does a Snapdragon to Luchasaurus, I kind of skeeve because it's going to hurt him. He's doing these things at like 80 miles an hour on Marco Stunt. Marco Stunt has no muscle mass, no bone density. He's going to end up getting broken. And his career is going to be very short because they use him as just a launch pad for everything. It's it's horrible. Not to mention he's not really believable here. At the end of this match, Omega hits the one-winged angel onto... Uh, Marco stunt and then continues to just beat down on Marco stunt and everybody had to pull him off. It almost seemed like Kenny snapped and everybody just kept saying, it's just a match. It's just a match. So they're teasing the heel Kenny Omega. We've already had the teasing of a heel Cody. We've had the tease of a four horseman stable during this match. Hangman Page, who is one half of the tag team champions with Kenny Omega, was at the bar, and they flashed back to the bar, and FTR, who earlier in the night had started an issue with Kenny Omega, are back at the bar with, with Hangman, and now the three of them are drinking buddies. Very interesting. So, what it says to me is that we're going to get that tease. We're going to get the tease of them being on the same page as Hangman, which is going to cause the rift between him and Kenny to really going to be the reason why they dropped the tag titles to FTR. Then you can get the Kenny and Hangman feud. Somehow, I feel, in this, FTR is involved with it. I'd love a Four Horsemen stable. And you know damn well that the FTR... They would love to be the Arn and Tully. They're already the Arn and Tully. Might as well give them the Arn and Tully spot in the Horsemen here. Uh, but just some of the other things that uh, I quick noted about here on this. Luchasaurus takes way too much time to kick. His spots take way too long to set up. And in this match, Kenny Omega was super sloppy. This show as a whole was very sloppy from all wrestlers. Everyone was sloppy. Um, despite the fact that it gave a lot of foreshadowing to other things that are going to be coming forward, very sloppy on a lot of wrestlers part, but Kenny Omega specifically, 
uh, was the one that stuck out to me, and I pointed that out. While we're talking about Kenny here, Conan went on to his podcast this week, and he said this, and I couldn't agree with it more. While Omega got majorly over in Mexico and Japan, he's failed on American TV because his promos aren't on the level of other top guys. Also, he has not been pushed as a star, but just another top guy who can work. There are 18 other guys who know how to work. Omega just doesn't stand out in any way. End quote. Another quote here. The fans in Mexico loved Kenny because we built an aura around him and they went nuts every time he stepped through the curtains. That has not happened in AEW. End quote. And I could not agree with that more. Kenny Omega is a horrible promo. He's not good. He's awkward in his delivery. Yes, he can have good matches. We've seen it. We've seen it in Japan. For that crowd who everything they do is built off of the raw emotion. They like the slow build. Kenny Omega is a master of the slow build match to the end. That's not the American style. And he is yet to actually have that here. And uh, I'm not saying he can't. But to the American audience who thought that he was having these six-star matches, you don't get 45, 60-minute matches every single week on TV. You need to learn to tell a good story in 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And he is yet to do that. And like I said, he's not a great promo. Need a quick beer here. Sorry we're running long, but we had a lot to, uh, to talk about here. Um, the Nightmare Sisters were on this show. Allie and Brandy Rhodes, they picked up a win. Uh, doesn't really matter. We get, uh, Nyla Rose out here who has announced her new manager. And that manager is Vicky Guerrero, who we know that she can get all of the heat that she wants. So this is a great pairing. If you ask me personally, Nyla Rose really doesn't need a manager, but there, there's there's managers for days. Like AEW has enough managers that they could cover, you know, they have enough managers for their company, for WWE and for Impact. That's how many managers AEW already has. But if you're into the manager thing, cool. The world title match was John Moxley versus Brian Cage. And most of this match. Moxley was working with a Danny Havoc shirt on. Danny Havoc is former uh, CZW buddy. Uh, he designed uh, the first Mox logo with the grenade. So he kept the shirt on, but I still felt it was weird that your world champion's wrestling in a, in a, a t-shirt here. Eventually, it, it came off. And earlier in the show, Moxley cut a promo and said that he was going to re-tear the... Uh, uh, Peck right off of the, I believe it was the the the, the pectoral muscle. I, I don't have muscle uh, muscle. I'll know of that. I need I need to drink a beer. Dear Lord, we're running long. Sorry guys. He said he was going to tear it right back off uh, the injury that Cage had from earlier this year. Uh, Moxley eventually had a Kimura lock on here, uh, but eventually he escaped. Uh, Moxley also escaped the drill claw reapplied uh, an arm bar uh, and when he finally got it on eventually he was able to lock it in and then Taz ends up throwing in the towel for the finish 
which was at first you're just like okay this is this is your way out of this match and you don't want to you don't destroy cage because he doesn't tap out he doesn't get beat but you don't have to go through the pass out thing and this way taz can seem like the smart guy and say hey my guy was in a bad spot i threw in the towel for him he still has never technically been defeated by moxley and you can build to another match there but that's until the lights go out and they come back on and Darby Allen's on the top rope and he attacks Brian Cage with a skateboard. So get this. You have now killed Brian Cage. And some some idiot on Twitter tried to to come back at me on our page at Powerbombs PPN and say, how did how did they do that? Well, simple. You made him untouchable. You put him in the ring with your world champion in a world title match and you have him, you do a screwy finish anyway, which is like, okay, you can bounce back from that. But then he runs off like a coward, essentially, after he gets chased away by a 170 pound guy with a skateboard. So now he's been taken out by two people. He still has his made up world title, which he shouldn't have gotten the week that he got it anyway. The booking of Brian Cage, I'll say it, this week was shit, and I think that it's really going to hurt him going forward. Now, of course, they're going to have to do the same thing that they've done with Brody Lee, the same thing that they've done with Lance Archer. Now they're going to basically have to start him over again and just feed all the young guys, the young small guys to him. You know, they need to do a better job and stop wasting their resources here. And For somebody like myself, who is a huge AEW fan, I thought that this was just done horribly and and i'll i'll say that that's just i felt felt that for as much that they tease going forward i'm looking for what's going to happen going forward but some of the execution on this show was just complete shit and i'll say that as for nxt on this show uh it starts off with a keith lee promo in the ring my god if anybody needs a manager or a vocal piece. It is Keith Lee. He is, his delivery is just so laid back and awkward that it's just, it's unbearable. The night after he won the world title, he went on Busted Open Radio and was talking. And even after that, they they were talking about, oh, I guess maybe he's tired, but oh, he's so calm. It's like, it's awkward. Imagine if, you listen to a whole podcast where all I did was speak at this exact same cadence and level and never showed any emotion or energy throughout the entire thing. Would you listen? Of course you wouldn't fucking listen because it's fucking garbage. Keith Lee, tremendous in ring. He has a great look, a unique look, if you will, and can do things that so many people can't, even for his size, which makes him even more valuable. You have now put two titles on this man. He is now a double champion, and they're not going to make him get rid of the one belt. He is going to defend both belts because on this show, he defended both titles against Dominic Dijakovic, which was a great match. In the ring, he can get it done, no questions asked, but he cannot and should not be talking. 
the second that Vince McMahon gets word that this man cannot cut a promo, either he's going to give him a manager, which Vince hates managers, so it's probably not going to happen, he's going to end up burying him. You got that? All this time, all this TV time you've given him, he is not going to make it. You you cannot tell me that he's going to be able to go promo for promo with Paul Heyman in a in a believable way that you're going to be able to build to a match between him and Brock Lesnar, which is the match that everybody has wanted to see this year. You had a tease of it at the Royal Rumble, but you still have yet to get it. When you finally get it, he's not going to be able to deliver on his end, and it's just going to be flat. There. I said it. Other things that happened on this, Damian Priest versus Cameron Grimes. This match, I had so much expectations for, and it was just really passable. Really passable. Damian Priest got the win here, which still to me is weird because Damian Priest is the taller of the two, but he is the baby for baby face in this uh, scenario. Uh, again, Diamond, Dominic Dijakovic uh, retained his title. Uh, not Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, I've said that backwards. Keith Lee retained over Dominic Dijakovic in the match this week on NXT. Afterwards, uh, they the two embraced. The lights went out. Scarlet came out and dumped the broken hourglass that Keith Lee broke uh that was given to Adam Cole by Scarlett and Karrion Cross a couple of weeks back. Later on in the show, uh, Mackenzie Mitchell is interviewing Dijakovic. Karrion Cross came in from behind him, and these two ended up brawling. So I guess that'll be the stop along the way for Karrion Cross before he gets to Keith Lee. Besides that, the main event was uh, Io Shirai defending the NXT women's title against Tegan Knox. They've been doing a quick little um, build up to this. These two had a pretty good match. Uh, in the end, uh, Io Shirai ended up winning. These two got about 20 minutes. As Shirai was going back up the stage, she gets attacked by Dakota Kai on the stage and gets laid out. Why the fuck would I give a f- shit about Dakota Kai at this point? Dakota Kai has never had a believable look. I I liked her feud at the beginning with Tegan Knox, which went too long. I still don't think it's actually even over. She's never won a match that's really made her relevant. And here she is. They're going to put her in a title match. This is the most cold title feud, because NXT does a lot of mini feuds, that they've even had. I do not want to see Dakota Kai and Io Shirai. I, I think that, that match will go no more than eight minutes, and Io Shirai clearly is going to walk out with the title. I think it's just uh, uh, the sake for a feud to then get them to whatever feud they're going to do going into the takeover for uh, SummerSlam weekend. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I know we ran long. There was a lot of content this week. Uh, they're building up Raw. They're building. They're trying to build up SmackDown, I guess, with this bar fight. Who knows? Uh, interesting to see what's going to come out of AEW and NXT. The show that I'm looking forward to this week is Impact Wrestling Tuesday night. Uh, you know, we'll break all that stuff down next week on this show. Uh, so till then, stay safe and stay over, guys.